Welcome to the podcast for Windsor Road Baptist Church. Prepare your heart to receive God's message. The passage this morning that we're working through is a long one. Uh, both Ashley and, and, and Grace read that passage early, so I encourage you to have your devices uh, open to Ruth chapter 2 so you can make references to it from time to time and follow the plot, okay? Uh, we won't be quoting uh, too much from the passage. You've read it, so je- hopefully you've got a little bit of a construct, a, a picture of what's happening in chapter two. But still, it's good to have your devices ready and uh, be, yeah, if, you, if you're lost uh, during my preaching, uh, you know where to turn to. Uh, four expectant fathers are pacing in a hospital waiting room while their wives are in labor. Uh, The nurse enters and tells the first man, congratulations, you're the father of twins. What a coincidence, the man says. I work for Twin Tech Australia Private Limited. A little later, the nurse returns and tells the second man, you're the father of triplets, congratulations. That's, the guy said, that's really an incredible coincidence. He answers, I work for the 3M Corporation. An hour later, the nurse returns, tells the third man that his wife has just given birth to quads, quadruplets. The man says, I don't believe this. I work for Four Seasons Hotels and Resorts. What a coincidence. Suddenly, the fourth man in the room hits the floor in a dead faint. He slowly regains consciousness And everyone in the room is keen to find out just what happened to him. He whispers to them, I knew I should never have taken the job at Seven Group Holdings Limited. (laughs) My message uh, this morning, you might have guessed, is titled God Coincidences. Did you know the word coincidence, coincidence is used once in the Bible? Well, at least in some Bible translations. And it was Jesus who used the word when he was teaching the parable of the Good Samaritan. Here it is in Luke chapter 10, verse 31 in the New American Standard Bible. And by coincidence, a priest was going down that road, down on that road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Other uh, Bible translations uh, use phrases like, and by chance, or, and it's so happened. The word uh, translated coincidence come from the Greek word synchreon, which is a combination of two words, syn, S-Y-N, and kurios. Syn, S-Y-N, means coming together, or together with, I should say, together with. And the word kurios has a number of different meanings. It can mean Lord, and we Uh, That's quite common, and that's the one that perhaps we're most familiar with. Lord is in the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, It has also been used in the Greek as the, uh, has been used in in the English Bible translations as the Greek equivalent of Yahweh or Jehovah. It can also mean sir, master, owner, or even an idol. Now, the thought behind the word synchron is supremacy and authority, supremacy and authority. So when you put it all together, Sincran, a Bible 
definition of coincidence then would be, as one author writes, what occurs together by God's providential arrangement of circumstances. Biblically, coincidence means what occurs together by God's providential arrangement of circumstances. In other words, as Christians, this is the kind of coincidences that we believe in, not coincidences that are defined as random uh, events, uh, defined as nothing more than random chances or fortuitous events. Now, as we continue our series on the book of Ruth this morning from chapter 2, verse 4, we will clearly see God's providential arrangement of circumstances in the lives of Naomi and Ruth. Or to borrow a line from last week's sermon, if you were here, hidden from our view is the hand of God working behind the scenes, executing his plans for his sake and for the good of Naomi and Ruth. But first, here's the story so far. Naomi and and Ruth had left Moab as destitute widows for Bethlehem, Naomi's hometown. But things in Bethlehem are no better. Naomi's family had owned some land, but because of debts, they had lost it. As widows in a patriarchal and agrarian society, their future is very, very bleak. They're in danger of starving to death. Well, Ruth has an idea, and she runs it by Naomi, and Naomi gives her blessing. In trusting and daring faith, Ruth, Ruth asks God to grant her favor that she might be able to gather sufficient leftover grain in the fields to feed her and Naomi. That was her plan. Uh, the, the, the idea that you could glean in, uh, in a field that doesn't belong to you is a provision that God has, had made and insisted upon in his instruction to Israel. And in Deuteronomy chapter 24, you can also find that in Leviticus, but we're reading the one from Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 19 to 22. And this is what God instructed to Moses to instruct the people of Israel. When you're harvesting in your field and you overlook a sheaf, do not go back to get it. Leave it for the foreigner, the fatherless, the widow, the marginalized, the poor, the needy. So that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. When you beat the olives from your trees, do not go over the branches a second time. Leave what remains for the foreigner, for the fatherless, and the widow. When you harvest the grapes in your vineyard, do not go over the vines again. Leave what remains for the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt. That is why I command you to do do this. So God is saying to the people of Israel, do not forget where you've come from. This is a reminder to you what I've delivered you from. Be generous. Be kind to those who are less well-off than you. Ruth picks a field and begins to glean behind the harvesters. And then we read this key verse uh, in in verse 3, part B. As it turned out, or by coincidence. 
she found herself working in a field belonging to a chap by the name of Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. Now, Boaz would turn out to be Ruth's husband and so much more. Brothers and sisters, this was no accident. God planned it and God willed it. Okay, Naomi had no clue. Ruth had no clue. It was a God coincidence. It was God's hidden hand that guided Ruth to that field. God was putting in motion his rescue plan to not only save Naomi and Ruth, but as we'll see in two weeks from now, it was a plan to save humankind as well. Now, who is Boaz? Well, he's a wealthy relative of Naomi's husband. The Hebrew word for, the, for relative is the word goel, a kinsman. And this is an important word which we will explore next week. But suffice to say at the stage that goel was more than saying that he was just a relative, but a, speci- uh, but a f- special family representative, a chieftain in the family. A hardworking fellow, Boaz was also a man of incredible integrity and honor. He was the absolute gentleman. And we see this in the way he greets his workers and vice versa in the form of prayers for Yahweh's blessings. The Lord be with you, to which they replied, the Lord bless you. Here's a man of God, honorable, industrious, who also shares a very warm relationship with his employees. An employer, a boss whom the employees look up to and respect. While inspecting the work that's being done, Boaz notices an unfamiliar person in the group. He discreetly asks the supervisor, his supervisor, about her. In his reply, we learn a little bit more about the person of Ruth. The supervisor explains that Ruth is a Moabitess, a foreigner, a Gentile, a point that we already know, but a point that the narrator repeatedly emphasizes throughout the book, if you haven't yet noticed this. Ruth is the only book in the Bible, by the way, named after a Gentile. And this is a very, very significant point because it tells us that God's salvation plan is always included the Gentiles. It didn't begin with Jesus. Jesus, when he talked about the Gentiles, when he reached out to the woman from Samaria, he was not introducing a radical idea. God's plan of salvation always included the non-Jews, the Gentiles. We learn further from the supervisor that Ruth's work in the field speaks to her honorable and diligent character. She asks for permission to glean rather than assume she could, even though under the laws of Moses she could, but she still asked for permission. She had been working in the field all day except for a short break. So in short, she's very much like Boaz, hardworking, honorable, a decent, lovely, kind woman. When the supervisor finished, Boaz speaks to Ruth directly and respectfully. As a woman, poor and a foreigner, Ruth is placing herself in harm's way, gleaning in the fields. 
even though there were laws protecting foreigners, as we read earlier in Deuteronomy 24, and looking after the poor, remember that judges was a period when lawlessness was the rule of thumb. Yeah? People did as they saw fit. It was a brutal society. For her safety, and for that reason, Boaz pleased with Ruth to glean strictly in his fields and not to glean alone, but also along with other women. He also instructs the young men working for him to not assault her sexually. Do not touch her. Do not come anywhere near her. Furthermore, there's refreshment available for her. Ruth is humble and surprised by Boaz's favor and generosity. After all, she's a foreigner, and foreigners are largely ignored and marginalized in that society. Boaz speaks to her very gently and respectfully. Foreigners like her, as I said, yeah, they're not well looked upon. So he asks him why he's treating her so favorably, so respectfully. Boaz lets on, on, by, by this stage, Boaz lets on that he has in fact heard of her, but didn't realize that it was her. We're talking about days, you know, when there's no Google. You couldn't just Google Ruth. <laughs> what is she like? Ah, that's, that's Ruth there. It's no Facebook, not, no social media. So she, he had heard of Ruth and what she had done for Naomi, her, her, her cousin, uh, her relative, I should say, but didn't realize that that was her. But it seems her reputation as an upright woman and a woman of great fortitude had preceded her work in the field. Uh, Back in chapter 1, we know of her love and her kindness and loyalty shown to her mother-in-law. And that made a profound impression on the citizens of Bethlehem. He pronounces, Boaz that is, pronounces Yahweh's blessings on her. May the Lord, in verse 12, chapter 2, may the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. And Ruth thanks Boaz from the bottom of her heart for his kind and generous treatment of her. Then Boaz invites her to a meal prepared for the workers, which included uh, roasted grain, a delicacy apparently. And when they return to work, Boaz tells his workers to let Ruth glean where they are laboring. In other words, let Ruth get the very best pickings of the crop, not just mere leftovers. He also orders his workers to leave sheaves of grain that Ruth could easily pick up and bundle. She continues laboring until the evening. And she has an incredibly productive day. She manages to gather 13 kilos worth of grain, an amount capable of producing over 600 slices of whole grain bread. I didn't work this out, somebody else did. So there's a lot of bread. Uh, they, they need not fear of dying from starvation. Now when, and when Naomi uh, sees Ruth with a stash of grain, 
Well, you know, he's eager to find out well, what happened. Uh, and, and the other thing to point out, too, is Ruth doesn't just drag back along with her 13 kilos of grain. She also brings back with her leftover roasted grain that she had, she had earlier for Naomi. She's such a considerate person. She didn't, didn't just have enough of her own. She said, oh, can I have a, a doggy bag uh, for, for Naomi? Because I'm sure she will enjoy this as well. Where did you work, Ruth? Who is this kind landlord who's blessed you with this amount of grain? And, and, and her questions clearly shows that she did not set Ruth up knowingly to work at Boaz's field, her, her husband's relative. Now, when she finds out that it is Boaz, her husband's relative who's the generous benefactor. She excitedly invokes a blessing on Boaz in verse 20. The Lord bless him. He's not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. That man is our close relative. He's one of our family guardians. Chapter 2 ends with Naomi telling Ruth to keep working Boaz's field for her own safety, which she does until the end of the barley and wheat harvest in order to continue providing for herself and Naomi. What we essentially have in chapter 2 is the author establishing Ruth's credentials essential for chapter 3, which we will look at. We're going to come across a very strange marriage proposal. Very strange on you. Read and you think... That Ruth was Ruth seducing Boaz? What's going on here, man? This is mm, odd. And did Naomi put her up to it? Was she so desperate to marry Ruth off that she encouraged her daughter to do such an immoral thing? We'll find out next week what really happened. As it turned out, the phrase of verse 3, which I've called God coincidence. Defined as what occurs together by God's providential arrangement of circumstances is an enormous, enormous source of encouragement to our faith in God. You see, God coincidence is a powerful reminder to us all of the reality of his invisible but caring hand at work in our lives. Something we can so easily lose sight of. Something we can so easily dumb down as nothing but random, fortuitous, lucky events. They're not. Rather, they're God's providence. They're God coincidence. God working his purpose out for his sake. God working out his purpose for our lives for his sake and for our good. The Lord declares in Jeremiah 29, verse 11, For I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you, plans not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Paul pronounces with conviction in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, I am confident of this, that the one who began a good work in you, among you, will bring it to completion 
by the day of Jesus Christ. And finally, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 23 to 24, may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your entire spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who is faithful, he will do it. See, God's purpose for our lives, God's plan for our lives, does not rest upon us being perfect. Not at all. Your failures, your stumbling, your mistakes are not a surprise to him. So don't get the idea that it all depends on you. Of course, our choices have consequences, but it's not irredeemable. God is working out his purpose in and through you for his sake and for our good. And because of these promises and many more as followers of Jesus, we just don't subscribe to the notion that there is such a thing as coincidences. Only God coincidences. How many of you heard of Billy Graham? It's a rhetorical question, actually. <laughs> Just asked it. But for those of you who, who don't, he was the greatest evangelist of all time. He was among uh, the most influential, uh, one of the most influential Christian leaders of the 20th century. He lived to be 100 years old without any scandal to his name. He was on the Gallup's list, of, Gallup's list of most admired men and women, a record of 61 times. In over 70 years of ministry, he preached to nearly 215 15 million people to, in, in more than 185 countries. <laughs> this doesn't include people who listen to him on radio and television broadcasts. A truly remarkable man of God. He has shared the gospel with more people than anyone else in history. But think about the guy who shared the gospel with him. And by chance, led him to the Lord. I bet he had no idea. Billy Graham would have that kind of worldwide impact he did. But who was he? Billy was not a Christian. He was led to the Lord. He had a, an encounter with the Lord at a meeting. But who is this person who led him to the Lord? We'll come to that later. But how many of you heard of Mr. Kimball? Edward Kimball. Yeah. Oh, Eunice has. You have. You have. Okay, Eunice. But if you, if you haven't, that's all right. Most people have never heard of Edward, Kingdom, uh, Edward Kimball. Well, he was a Sunday school teacher who taught the Bible to young adults in the city of Boston. He made it a habit of giving each person who attended his class an opportunity to give their lives to Jesus and follow him. Now, there was an individual, a young adult in his class, he was particularly concerned for, that he happened to be particularly concerned for. One day, this is in 1855, one day in 1855, it so happened 
And now I, I need to warn you ahead of time, you're going to hear me use that phrase over and over again or similar ones to it. And it so happened that he went to the shoe store where this young man was working when he found him at the back of the store stacking shelves. Mr. Kimball shared the gospel with him and led him to Jesus as his Lord and Savior. And that young man was Dwight L. Moody. He was 18 years old. Shortly after, Dwight L. Moody moved to Chicago where he sold shoes. Now, his ambition as an 18-year-old was to, and when he reaches retirement age, he would have $100,000. This is 1855. That's a lot of money. Okay, that was his goal. Anyways, to cut the long story short, he left the shoe business to focus his energy on social and evangelistic work before going on to establish himself as one of the greatest evangelists of all time. One of his famous quotes is, if this world is going to be reached, I am convinced that it must be done by men and women of average talent. So you feel like you have average talent? Well, there's a lot of hope for you. God is going to use you. In the summer of 1873, Moody went to tour the British Isles, UK. As it turned out, he preached in a little chapel pastored by a young Baptist pastor by the name of F.B. Meyer. She's one of Sue McPherson's favorite authors. In his sermon, he spoke about Edward Kimball. And that message changed F.B. Meyer's ministry, inspiring him to become an evangelist like Moody. And he played a key role in the beginnings of the Welsh Revival. He was also a great Bible teacher. Apparently, he's written over 70 books. The two of them became lifelong friends. Eventually, F.B. Meyer preached in the United States. And by chance, he was preaching in Northfield, Massachusetts, Moody's hometown, where huge conference, summer conferences were held. A young preacher who happened to be there heard him say, if you're not willing to give up everything for Christ, are you willing to be made willing? F.B. Meyer thundered. And this remark led Wilbur Chapman to respond to God's call on his life. And he went on to become a very effective evangelist. And for a time, he was one of Moody's uh, co-workers. One day, it so happened, <laughs> there's a lot of that. One day, it so happened that an ex-baseball player by the name of, a uh, professional baseball player by the name of Billy Sunday, on his day off, attended one of Chapman's evangelistic meetings. He gave his life to Christ at that meeting. As it turned out, Chapman enlisted Billy to be one of his assistants to help him set up for evangelistic meetings. Billy learned how to preach by watching Chapman. Eventually, he took over Chapman's ministry and becoming a dynamic evangelist himself. And his preaching brought thousands to Christ. And by chance, a 
young group of Christian men dedicated themselves to reaching the city for Christ after being inspired by a Billy Sunday meeting and message. As it turned out, they invited an evangelist by the name of Mordecai Ham to conduct a series of meetings in Charlotte, North Carolina. That year was 1932. A sandy-haired, lanky 16-year-old young man still in high school vowed he would never hear Mordecai Ham preach. As it turned out, he eventually went. On the first night, he was captivated by what he had heard. He went again and again and again. It felt like Mordecai was speaking directly to him. Finally, on the last night, he responded to the gospel and gave his life over to Jesus. That sandy-haired, lanky young man was Billy Frank, who eventually became known as Billy Graham. There they are, standing side by side. Do you see something? I hope you see it. As it turned out, and it so happened, and by chance, whatever phrase you want to use, when we place our lives into the hands of the living God, who's full of compassion, full of grace, Filled with unfailing love and faithfulness, enduring faithfulness. There is no such a thing as fortuitous, random, lucky events. What we have is God coincidences, events that occur together by his providential arrangement of circumstances. Brothers and sisters, don't let circumstances alter the way you see Jesus. Instead, let Jesus, whose hand we have placed our lives into, the one who says that the very hairs on our head are are all numbered, the one who says that we're of incredible value to God and backs it up by dying on the cross in our place, the one who says, do not worry, but seek his kingdom first. Let this Jesus alter and shape the way you see your circumstance. Put your faith in this Jesus. So what's the application? All of us, the periods and phases in our lives where we feel like God has gone to sleep. Yeah? Where is God? Where are you? We feel like God has forgotten us. We feel like God is hardly doing anything in our lives. He seems so absent. This week, I want to challenge all of you to make time and look back over your life, prayerfully, with the help of the Holy Spirit. As you do, I am absolutely convinced that what you will see is this. That far from being absent in your life, God has been watching over you. It was Einstein who said, coincidences are God's way of remaining anonymous. Coincidences are God's way 
of remaining anonymous. What feels and seems like random, fortuitous, lucky events are in fact God coincidences, God providential arrangement of circumstances to encourage you, to bless you, to strengthen you, to cheer for you, to provide for you. He has been, he remains, and will continue to be at work in and through your life and mine for his sake and for your good. Amen? So can you do that this week? Seriously, I mean it. Don't just, yeah, you know, think about it. You need to do this. You need to sit down, have a cup of coffee with God, and say, God, I want to do a scan now over my life. Lord, these fortuitous events, these random events, these events that I've thought little of or thumbed down, anything, Lord, would you show me afresh these events and help me see that they're not random events. They're God coincidences. Your hand was behind that. Your hand made that happen. You arranged that circumstance. There's no way that could have occurred randomly. And as you do, give thanks to God. As you do, may your faith in God return and be strengthened. May you go, yes, God has been involved in my life more than I realize. It is so good to see that. If that is your story, if that is your testimony, I would really appreciate it if you shoot me an email, okay? And say, Mark, thank you for that. I looked over my life in this past year alone. There were six to nine events that I thought, ah, you know, God was in that. And I'm not being superstitious, and I'm not making it up. I'm not over-spiritualizing things. God was there. I was just too blind, too preoccupied, too proud to see that. God, forgive me. Forgive me for being ungrateful. Because you've been far more involved in my life than I give you credit for. Let's pray before we sing our final song. Lord, even when you don't remain anonymous, and we see that throughout Exodus, where you displayed overtly to the people of Israel your power, your provision, your deliverance, Despite all of that, despite you being in their very midst during the day in the form of clouds and during the night in the pillars of fire, the moment crisis comes, the moment a challenge comes, the moment they come across difficulties, they forget you. They turn away from you. How much more, Lord? These so-called random events that happen 
We're not so quick to see. It's, it's not because they're random. It's not because you're anonymous. It's, it's, it's our hearts, Lord. Even if you were to be there right in front of us doing fantastic things, we're just like that. We forget. We forget. We're not a grateful lot. We're a fickle lot. You know that. But we want to be different. We don't want to remain a fickle lot. We don't want to remain an ungrateful lot. We don't want to be like the people of Israel who require assurances and assurances and assurances and assurances time and again, time and again, time and again. And until you do, and if you don't, they go, nah, I'm going to check out. God, you're not real. God, I don't know about you. Lord, I pray that we will draw in the line in the sand and say, God, it's, it's enough. You have proven yourself. I don't need you to prove yourself to me anymore. You are the living God. You are my God and my King. And you are worthy of my whole life. I pray you will become a people of faith. People who adore you. People who put their trust in you. Your impeccable character. And it is with this mindset that we can then scan our lives in the past and say, see... I can see God at work here, 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 and here, and here. Change our lenses. That's what needs changing. Not you needing to prove yourself again to us, afresh, with new deeds and new marvelous works of wonder. We just need to start looking at things that have happened in our lives with fresh eyes. Grant us those fresh eyes, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope that you have been blessed by the message. Windsor Road Baptist Church is a growing intergenerational and international community of people committed to whole life discipleship. Please visit us at windsorroad.org.au to connect with us and to learn more about our church.